The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Hi there, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Very excited to have special guest Dr. David Perlmutter, who has called in from Naples, Florida. I want to share something with you before I bring him on. This is very interesting. I got some information from Little Brown and Company uh, when I got a copy of Brain Maker, his uh, latest book. Over the past few decades, the medical world has made great strides in treating many life-threatening illnesses, including heart disease, diabetes, and even some forms of cancer. The same, however, cannot be said for brain-related disorders. We don't have meaningful treatments, let alone cures for our most challenging but all-too-common neurological ailments, such as Alzheimer's disease, autism, depression, Parkinson's disease, and multiple sclerosis, to name a few. The good news is that the latest science now links brain health and brain dysfunction to what goes on in our gut. Internationally recognized neurologist and number one New York Times bestselling author of Grain Brain, Dr. David Perlmutter, is going to share his extraordinary new science along with highly practical advice on how to care for your brain in his latest book, Brain Maker. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Dr. David Perlmutter. Good morning. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for calling in. No problem. Happy to help. I heard you speak at the Natural Products Expo West, and it was so fascinating what you had to say about our guts and our microbiomes. And, and I want to back up. How did this become an area of study for you? What, what grabbed you to this area? <laughs> well, it, it certainly you have to admit it's, an, it's a, a strange area for me as a neurologist to be gravitating towards. But, mm. you know, as neurologists, we don't really have a heck of a lot to offer people. It's you know, it's a field that's pretty much characterized by the idea of diagnose and mm-hmm. adios, meaning <laughs> we, we make a great diagnosis, but we don't have a heck of a lot to offer people. Mm. So uh, it turns out that, who knew, you know, the gut plays a major role in every aspect of our health, including the brain. And what we now understand is that it's not just the gut, but it's this new organ that was just discovered in the human body called the microbiome, the bacteria living within the gut. Right. You know, these three pounds of bacteria mm-hmm. that are actually controlling every aspect of our metabolism and physiology and play a huge role in determining the health and wellness and even the functionality of your brain. So yes. it's, an, it's an exciting time for us. It's a very empowering time because it's giving us such incredible tools. It's very interesting. I had some issues that were very relatable um, with uh, one of my children Growing up, she had a lot of ear infections. She then got off gluten. We were doing probiotics. And then her, her grades shifted in school. I, I learned about inflammation several years ago. So that's why I was so riveted by your talk. Well, again, I'm glad you were there. Um, but when kids have lots of ear infections, throat infections, colds, and unfortunately are given antibiotics, yes. those antibiotics change the gut bacteria and pave the way for inflammation. And inflammation is what causes the brain to not be able to focus and function appropriately now, Mm -hmm. moment to moment. But it is also inflammation that's the cornerstone of Alzheimer's, uh, autism, uh, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, uh, and ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Everything you don't want to get with reference to the brain ultimately relates back to this process of inflammation. Mm -hmm. When we change the gut bacteria by bombarding it, 
with antibiotics, uh, by having a diet that's high in sugar and low in fiber, and even by being born by C-section. This changes the gut bacteria. Then it sets the stage for various issues later in life. For example, being born by C-section is associated with an increased risk of autism and ADHD, type 1 diabetes, celiac disease, allergies, and even becoming obese as an adult correlates quite readily with being born by C-section. So when we're born by C-section, you're not getting, you're not, the baby doesn't pass through the birth canal, therefore yes. doesn't get that first important set of bacteria that are found in the birth canal. Now, so I want to be clear, uh, a C-section is a terrific procedure, wonderful, life-saving procedure, but please understand that when the gut bacteria are not provided as they were meant to be, then there can be problems down the line. Right. And it's very interesting. I love the um, ad you shared about a child who maybe left his backpack on the bus. He was talking during class and all these different triggers. And, and the parents said, ooh, ADHD. We better throw some medicine at him. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, our response to, uh, to any problem in America is a magic pill. Right. You say this, and I, as a doctor, will say that. And that's how doctors are trained. Mm -hmm. It's what we're told to do based upon the advertisements in our, in our various medical journals. I have a son that's uh, just graduated from medical school now in his internal medicine uh, residency, and that's what he learned in med school. If you say high blood pressure, I say a particular drug. And yes. we're not looking at the causes of problems. We're simply treating the symptoms. We're looking at the smoke and not the fire. Mm -hmm. And this is very important because, as you, as you let off, uh, we understand that what's going on in the body, especially in the brain, has its genesis in the gut. Right. And, you know, who would have thought that? You know, they don't teach you that in neurology training, I can guarantee you. But that turns out to be, number one, the biggest fallacy in terms of all of our research focused on the brain for brain problems. Mm -hmm. But number two, in, a, in lighting the single candle, it opens the door to a wide area of new uh, possibilities in terms of finally getting hold uh, of the causes of some of these devastating issues and actually finding, finally getting some answers in terms of what we can do to help people. Right. So when we see that the University of Arizona has just completed recruiting a large number of autistic children to do a procedure called fecal transplant. Oh, yes. Talk to reprogram their gut bacteria as a treatment for autism. Wow, that's pushing the envelope. That's exciting. Yes. And it's thrilling to see that information. I love the story you shared about the boy who had autism. And I guess he wasn't speaking really at all. And then they did this fecal transfer. And then before you knew it, he was chatting away with his mom. That's right. And, you know, we know that there are significant issues with reference to the gut bacteria that have been changed uh, in the autistic child and, and, and pretty much across the board in autism. So the notion then is let's be as aggressive as we possibly can be mm -hmm. and get good bacteria into the gut and see what happens. So that's what's prompting uh, University of Arizona to, to make to do this study. Now, uh, in, in my book, Brain Maker, I present the case of a young, of, of a kid, child, with autism who regained the ability to speak after he underwent fecal transplant, mm -hmm. taking the fecal material and bacteria from a healthy 
donor Mm -hmm. and implanting it into the colon of a child with a brain disorder. Who would have thought that? And lo and behold, the child begins speaking, becomes socially interactive. And this is based upon some really good, hardcore science, most of which has come from Canada, from the laboratory of a Dr. Derek McFabe, who I actually interviewed just last week. So Mm -hmm. we're beginning to uh, see some exciting things happen on this connection between the gut and the brain. And again, we have to protect the gut bacteria. We've got to stop overusing antibiotics. We've got to pay attention to the most important factor that keeps the gut bacteria healthy, and that is the food choices that we make. Right, right. You know, I really wish parents would stop and think about what they're giving their kids as far as processed foods and sugary cereals. I know I grew up on the East Coast, and it was an easy fix to go to McDonald's and eat all this, you know, junky cereal. And I was so, I actually was depressed as a kid, and my grades, forget it. I had no study habits, and I share this with my own children, what a difference food makes. Well, who knew? I mean, uh, who knew that um, the food choices that we make have such a profound effect upon um, the, the way that the brain works moment to moment? And, right. you know, I, I think that it's, it's very intriguing that just last week in the journal Neurology, which is arguably our most well-respected neurology journal on the planet, mm-hmm. was an incredible article that looked at dietary habits in 40 different countries and found that those individuals who engage in a more healthy diet have a dramatic reduced risk for becoming demented. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you have to understand that dementia generally means Alzheimer's is a situation for which there is no treatment, as you and I have this conversation. And this is a study that evaluated the diets of more than uh, close to 28,000 uh, men and women, mm-hmm. and, uh, of, and it lasted for 56 months. Wow. And it found a significant reduced risk of developing dementia in those individuals who were on a healthier diet. And we'll probably talk about that uh, later on. Mm-hmm. But the point is, this appeared in the most well-respected neurology journal that there is called Neurology. And uh, it was just published last week. And it's saying, look, diet matters a whole heck of a lot. And intriguingly, I must say, there was no press release on this. It wasn't on the evening news. And, um, you know, it's pretty pretty, um, breathtaking that we so avoid this information that diet matters. And yet, you know, this is a lesson we learned from Hippocrates 2,000 years ago, mm-hmm. we've really got to pay attention to food. It matters a whole heck of a lot. Yes. And to those who think, well, they can just do what they want and hope that there's a pill, oh. there yes. is no treatment for Alzheimer's disease. Right. None exists. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that to you based upon the fact that, yes, I'm a board-certified neurologist, but, hey, I am the son of uh, a brilliant brain surgeon who passed away six weeks ago from oh, Alzheimer's I'm disease. I'm so, so sorry. I fully get it. You know, mm-hmm. I fully understand the um, the personal aspect of this, the the threat to my health because yes. of the fact that my dad had this disease, and I'm doing everything I can to just raise awareness. And uh, you know, this is why you have these types of programs like you are presenting to give people wonderful information. Knowledge is power, and in my case. You know, recognize the word doctor doesn't mean healer, it means teacher, and we're just doing our very, very best 
to uh, give people as much information as, as we possibly can to keep these things from happening in the first place. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to go back to another example of talking with my daughter about this because they know all about you, by the way. <laughs> I told them about your lecture. <laughs> I tell them your body is your car and you got to put good fuel in your car if you put the wrong fuel. And a lot of kids don't understand, you know, soda is bad and all this. Can you talk about uh, prebiotics? Because you talk about prebiotics, probiotics, you know, what the difference and why they're so important. Well, let me get back. I think you brought up something very intriguing, and that was this analogy of your body as a car. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't drive your car until you run out of gas and then say, well, I guess I better put some gas in or until the oil pressure is low or there's a problem. We generally take our car to the shop every once in a while and say, hey, take a look at make sure everything's fine. Yes. But most people don't do that with their bodies. They don't do the preventive maintenance to keep the body working appropriately. And they certainly don't do anything as it relates to the brain, uh, you know, in a preventive way. And what did we just talk about? We just talked about this incredible report in the most well-respected peer-reviewed journal telling us that uh, the diet plays a huge role in being preventative as it, w- as it relates to the brain. I mean, that's pretty, right. it, it's a, a new dawn. Mm-hmm. And, and that said, um, you know, I, I think we should uh, understand that your car comes with an owner's manual. And I've done my very best in Grain Brain and now in Brain Maker to give you the owner's manual for your brain. And that is to eat a diet that's extremely low in carbohydrates, that welcomes back to the table healthy fats like coconut oil and extra virgin olive oil, grass-fed beef, wild salmon and wild fish, nuts and seeds. Mm -hmm. And also, as you so importantly mentioned, the notion of not just probiotics, but prebiotics. And these are the foods that have a specific type of fiber that nurtures the growth of the good bacteria that live within us so that we can reduce inflammation, which is the cornerstone of everything bad in your brain you don't want to get. Right. So let's talk about your latest book, Brain Maker. Well, Brain Maker uh, is a book that uh, really gets very deep into exploring uh, the the Im- very empowering uh, and powerful information that relates the gut bacteria uh, to brain health. And, uh, you know, beyond talking about what it is that makes a good brain uh, go bad, we take the position of, okay, you know, a lot of us have taken antibiotics, a lot of us have done things uh, that are not the best in terms of our diets that have uh, maybe created a situation that uh, is uh, not ideal. And more importantly than what can you do to replenish the gut bacteria? What can you do to uh, push the reset button uh, on the gut bacteria and pave the way for a healthy brain? And that involves changing your diet, as we just mentioned, bringing on board the prebiotic foods, mm-hmm. which is the jicama, Mexican yam, um, dandelion greens, um, garlic, onions, uh, all kinds of things that contain a specific type of prebiotic fiber called inulin that amps up the growth of the good bacteria and at the same time welcoming to the table fermented foods that are rich, that are teeming in probiotic bacteria, the good bacteria. And these are foods like drinking kombucha or eating kimchi, which is a fermented cabbage dish, Mm -hmm. dish, uh, other fermented vegetables, cultured yogurt, etc., These are foods that will enhance good bacteria in your gut. You have the prebiotics on board to nurture their growth, 
and you've cut down on things that are changing your gut bacteria, the sugars, the chlorinated water, the non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs, the acid-blocking drugs, all of which threaten the gut bacteria. Let, let me ask you a question. The, lately, there's been a talk about alkaline diet. A lot of people are on board with that. What's your take on that? Uh, I have to admit that I don't resonate so much with that notion uh, as much as maybe others would. And mm-hmm. I would tell you that from my perspective, uh, it's not for lack of trying. Okay. I mean, I'm certainly, <laughs> I read everything people send me about it, but, right. you know, the, the um, human body has an incredible system for keeping the pH, or that's a measurement of the alkalinity or acidity, mm-hmm. really, really tightly controlled. It's called the buffering system, and it involves both the carbon dioxide that we breathe out from our lungs as well as a blood-borne um, uh, buffer called uh, bicarbonate. And, you know, this is regulated in the blood. It's regulated in the kidneys. And the pH, acidity of the, of the body doesn't change all that much oh. depending on what you eat. So uh, having said that, I have not fully uh, embraced the importance of eating alkaline, alkaline, alkalinizing uh, foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more important to me is uh, getting rid of the sugars, yes. avoiding the artificial sweeteners uh, like the plague, right. and welcoming uh, fat back to the table. I mean, everybody has become so terribly fat-phobic that um, we're, you know, by and large, missing out on some really important uh, nutrients being fat. Right. You know, fat has been become such a bad word in our society uh, that nobody wants to ever say the word. You know, if you don't believe me, just walk up to somebody and say that word, fat. Don't say anything else, <laughs> and you see what happens. So having said that, um, I think it's important to recognize that humans have always eaten fat. Right. Uh, we've, uh, you know, we've eaten fat in the form of things that we have found on the ground or things that we have killed. Uh, and we've had, always had a really good high-fat diet and uh, didn't have carbs. You know, in our hunter-gatherer days, there were no wheat fields and apple orchards, and there certainly weren't uh, cartons of orange juice hanging from trees. Right. So um, I think it's really important, then, that people uh, understand that we're trying to communicate with our DNA based upon the foods that we eat. Now, what I mean by that is our food is more than just fat, protein, carbohydrates, and then the micronutrients, which are the minerals and the vitamins. The food that we eat, the chemicals in the food that we eat actually communicate with our DNA and change the expression, for good or bad, of our DNA. We call that epigenetics. And a diet that's high in carbs changes the expression of our DNA to create, again, more inflammation, the cornerstone of those dreaded diseases, which extend way beyond the brain. Also include things like diabetes type 2, coronary artery disease, and even cancer. Mm. So this is why it's really important to emulate the type of diet that our ancestors ate because it's communicating with our very, very old genome, our DNA that has changed very little in the past 100, 200,000 years. Well, people say, my goodness, we've always eaten bread. We've always eaten carbs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, after all, it's in the Bible. Well, let's talk about that. Right. That's 2,000 years ago. That's the blink of an eye. 
Agriculture began only 10,000 years ago. We're a 2 million year old species. Mm. We just started cultivating grains 10,000 years ago. That was yesterday. And suddenly we're expecting that new food and that new type of diet, higher in carbs, to be communicating in a positive way with our DNA. It isn't working that way. Mm -hmm. What we need to welcome back to the table are healthy fats. And you know, uh, interesting that the um, United States uh, uh, Dietary Advisory Committee in April of this year issued a report saying that, you know, dietary fat is not important in terms of health. It's the carbs that are killing us. And how incredible it is that just last year in the journal Annals of Internal Medicine was the largest study ever published on the role of saturated fat in terms of heart disease, and they found no correlation whatsoever. Those people Mm -hmm. eating the highest level of the dreaded saturated fat had no increased risk of heart disease. And that certainly flies in the face of all we've been told over the past that's shocking. Uh, 20, 30 years, yeah. yes. And that was, you know, it's arguably one of the most well-respected uh, internal medicine journals that there is. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. David Perlmutter, author of several books, and we're talking about Brainmaker, his uh, latest book. We talk about carbs, but aren't there good carbs? Like, I like sweet potatoes. I like brown rice. Are there some carbs that are okay? I, I'm not sure you, you, we would say they're definitely good uh, because of the carbohydrate content. I mean, mm-hmm. there are other things in sweet potatoes, the beta carotene. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some uh, fiber in uh, whole uh, wild rice, and, as well as minerals that are good for you. So I think you have to understand that, um, you know, we are uh, looking at the total number of carbohydrates that you would consume in a given day. And okay. if you have a serving of, of whole grain rice, fantastic. You just have to, you know, factor that into your 60 to 80 grams of carbs a day. That's what I recommend. I think it's generous. But, you know, please understand that you're not going to be 60 to 80 grams of carbs if you're having six to eight servings of fruit each day Mm -hmm. or you're drinking uh, a big couple of glasses of orange juice at breakfast. Mm -hmm. Understand that a 12-ounce glass of orange juice provides you nine heaping uh, teaspoons of pure sugar. Nine teaspoons of sugar in your... Natural glass of orange juice. Now everybody says, oh, yes, but the vitamin C, well, you know, <laughs> is it worth it? You get your vitamin C by eating broccoli, for crying out loud. Right. So it, you don't offset that load of sugar by having that modicum of vitamin C on board. Right. No, it's all fascinating. I go back to the car analogy, because everything factors into your energy level and you know, if you're, if you're a student, how well you're going to pay attention or you go off to work, if you can really focus, everything affects you. Well, without a doubt. I mean, all of these other lifestyle factors are certainly important, not the least of which is stress. I mean, stress raises in the body the level of cortisol, and cortisol is specifically toxic to the brain's memory center called the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Low levels of cortisol actually enhance the function of the hippocampus, but when it's protracted, or significantly elevated, then it's toxic and it shuts down your brain's memory center. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yes. Some people, I know I've tried, is it kombucha? Is that how you say it? Kombucha, yes. Kombucha. Is it an acquired taste or is it, you know, pretty good? 
Uh, I mean, some people, I guess, may never acquire the taste of kombucha. Uh, but there are so many flavors that you can find now, and uh, we end up uh, making our own, which is basically oh. it's basically fermented tea, and you can use whatever type of tea you want mm-hmm. to give it the flavor. We use uh, organic. Last time we made it with organic uh, Paul Newman tea. Who knew? Oh. And you put a you just dump in the sugar which is kind of strange after our conversation, Yes. Uh, especially for me to go to the health food store and buy a pound of sugar. But you put a lot of sugar in there, and then it, uh, you put what's called the mother or uh, the, the starter culture of um, bacteria and yeast called SCOBY. Okay. And that then, over time, when it's kept in a, a dark uh, place, mm-hmm. it, those bacteria, actually the yeast and bacteria, will ferment the sugar. They will convert the sugar. They will get rid of the sugar and create um, uh, things like a low level of alcohol. Oh. Uh, but basically, they'll use the sugar to replicate, to have more bacteria. And that's how you make um, kombucha, and it ends up with hardly any sugar in it. You know, you can even buy kombucha that has, you know, less than five grams of sugar in a serving. So, hmm. uh, you know, several people have asked me in BrainMaker gee whiz, in your kombucha recipe, you're putting in a bunch of sugar. And I have to explain, yeah, but when, at the end of the day, once it becomes kombucha, there's no sugar left. It's it's just like right. the process in which wine is made or beer is made. During you, fermentation, those organisms gobble up the sugar and, and create alcohol. You can't use stevia or some other replacement? It has no, because be they, won't, they won't use stevia. Now, if you want to add some stevia after the fact... Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, you may. Um, okay. You can certainly add it. Uh, so there you go. Let's take I mean, if that's what your if that's what your taste uh, requires. Right. Well, I, I know I've had a little, and it was like, woo. <laughs> no, I think I'd have to try it a few times. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll chat a little more. Absolutely. All right. Hang tight. We've been talking with Dr. David Perlmutter. We're going to just take a quick break. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. And uh, just stand by. We'll come back in just a few minutes. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. We are back. I'm Janine. This is Get the Funk Out. And we're joined by number one best-selling author of Grain Brain, Dr. David Perlmutter. You know, I wanted to have you on the full show because there's so much to talk about. And mm-hmm. um, tell me about that study you shared with everybody at Natural Products Expo West. I believe the gentleman had MS. And was, was that correct? And you showed a video of him walking the hallway somewhere and over time after a... Um, Microbial That's right. And oh. what, what happened with that uh, gentleman, uh, Carlos, and uh, he allows me to use his name. Actually, he's going to be uh, appearing in my next public television uh, broadcast uh, as an example of what happens to people when you um, reprogram their gut bacteria. Here's a man who couldn't walk, basically, wow. and he ended up 
in Europe undergoing this process called fecal microbial transplant. Mm -hmm. And uh, as such, um, he uh, reprogrammed his gut bacteria, which we know plays such an important role in um, modulating inflammation, in modulating what is called autoimmunity, which is what multiple sclerosis actually is, Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up walking again. So, um, you know, I was very astounded by that uh, and would indicate that this isn't the first time that's been reported. Uh, the uh, actually, Dr. Barodi in um, Australia has reported in the journal Gastroenterology uh, several cases of, of MS patients having really dramatic improvements, having undergone what's called fecal transplant. Mm-hmm. Again, as I mentioned with um, the autistic child, having the fecal material of a healthy individual implanted into their colon. So Carlos wow. did that, and I presented his case with his permission. And uh, his video is actually on my um, website, drperlmutter.com, oh, showing him uh, walking around. And uh, it's really quite, uh, it's quite empowering to, to think about what, um, what can happen when we start to pay attention to this, this level of information that tells us that the gut is playing such a role with respect to the brain and beyond the gut, it's actually the gut bacteria that are moment-to-moment modulating inflammation, which is the cornerstone of MS. Mm. Alzheimer's, autism, Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, coronary artery disease. So what a new and exciting time it is. And, you know... Pete, your, your yes. listeners shouldn't run out and think they've got to do a fecal transplant. No. My goodness. <laughs> but that said, it, I, I presented the case because I think it's just important to demonstrate um, what can happen when people pay attention to this material uh, and just the power of the gut bacteria in terms of changing the destiny of the brain. Right. Didn't you also share something in other countries? They don't have these problems because they're not eating all the processed foods that we have? Well, one of the slides I demonstrated was from Oxford, Mm -hmm. uh, a study that that correlated the uh, incidence of Alzheimer's in a country with the degree of reduction of the diversity of the bacteria in the gut. Lower levels of diversity of gut bacteria correlate with higher risk for Alzheimer's in a given country, and even parasites as well. Higher levels of parasites were correlated with lower levels of Alzheimer's. Think about that. What? (laughs) More parasites in the gut, higher diversity of the bacteria strongly correlates with reduced risk for Alzheimer's, meaning that we've lived with parasites and diverse tribes of bacteria in our guts for hundreds of thousands of years. Now, in countries where everything is so sterilized and we lose our gut bacterial diversity, Mm -hmm. we stand at increased risk for a certain inflammatory condition called Alzheimer's, now affecting uh, 5.5 million Americans. Unbelievable. Mm. Very intriguing. Uh, Now, it's not to say that there's any cause and effect statement that we can make, but this is, hey, it came from Oxford. This is a very uh, well-respected institution. I think it's really amazing information to at least begin to consider in through the lens, rather, of this notion of our hygiene obsession of killing off all the bugs, of taking antibiotics every time we have the sniffles. It's time to welcome bacteria back to the gut, eating 
probiotic foods, mm-hmm. taking probiotic supplements, consuming foods that are rich in prebiotic uh, gut bacterial nurturing fiber, like the jicama, the dandelion greens, the, the chicory root, onions, garlic, leeks, etc., to allow those healthy gut bacteria to flourish. And, you know, again, this is a big, big call for reducing our exposure to certain toxins in the environment, like glyphosate, which happens to be an herbicide. Oh, yes. Now, if you read the New York Times last week, on Sunday, you saw mm-hmm. an interesting um, op-ed by Jane Brody saying, hey, GMO foods are great. There's never been proven any risk with GMO foods. Well, oh, come on. why do we have GMO foods? We have GMO foods because it allows farmers to spray herbicides mm-hmm. on the crops that we eat. So GMO leads to this glyphosate or Roundup on our food, and that changes the gut bacteria. That's the connection that no one wants to talk about that is very real and presents a very clear and present danger. Mm. When the World Health Organization last month published in the journal Lancet called glyphosate a probable human carcinogen, that was a huge step. No one heard about it. Who wanted to talk about that? But we should talk about that. That is what GMO paves the way for, paves the way for this herbicide to make its way into the food that we eat. That is so scary when you think about it. I mean, I thought I read recently that on non-organic fruits and vegetables, there's like over 60 herbicides and fungicides that are sprayed. You know, it certainly depends on on where the foods come from, but we have really no way of knowing where where our food comes from. Is it grown in Mexico? Mm -hmm. Uh, We, you know, we've outlawed so many uh, pesticides, including DDT, and yet we still manufacture it, and we ship it to Mexico, they spray it on our food, and we bring the food back. Oh. So uh, what is the sense of that? Right. So uh, I think, you know, I want to leave our conversation by lighting a single candle instead of cursing the darkness and let people know that right now you can make these changes to reset your gut bacteria, and this will allow your mood to improve. It will allow you to finally lose weight because we know that the gut bacteria will determine whether you're fat or lean. Uh, if you have a certain array of gut bacteria that is brought on by eating high-carb foods, for example, these bacteria extract more calories from the food that we consume. Oh. So reprogramming the gut bacteria will pave the way for weight loss. When you drink diet drinks, it changes the gut bacteria negatively and paves the way for obesity. Mm-hmm. We all know people who are sucking down liters of diet drinks each day and can't lose weight, the reason is because of the effects of these diet drinks on the gut bacteria. And that was an incredible incredible, uh, research that just came out of Israel. And it explained a lot of things. It explained why people drinking diet drinks have double their risk for diabetes. Well, it has substantial increased risk for, for obesity. Who knew? And it's loaded with sodium saccharin. I used to be addicted to diet soda as a teenager, and you, you're just constantly drinking this thinking it's going to quench your thirst, and it's not. That's right. It, 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 it's not much of a thirst quencher. You're right, but it yeah. also it changes the, the signals coming from the brain that deal with what is called satiety, satiety meaning to knowing when you've eaten enough. So mm-hmm. ultimately, even though you're drinking diet drink, you're eating more food, and you have bacteria that are extracting more calories out of your food, hence you gain weight and you're at higher risk for diabetes. Yes. 
when I think back to my teenage years, oh, my, let's see, my bacon double cheeseburger, my large fries, oh, and my Diet Coke. Yeah, <laughs> we still see that. Makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, I love to watch people <laughs> at restaurants uh, have their short stack of waffles or pancakes, pour on the what they think is maple syrup, but yeah. it's corn syrup. Yes. And then when the coffee comes, they put in the, the a, a blue or pink packet or whatever and think they're doing the right thing. I know. Before we wrap, I want to you have a section in your book about supplements that go well with probiotics. Um could you explain some of these DHA and the importance of turmeric and other things? Of course. Um I really like turmeric as an herb because it it has such great effects in human physiology. Turmeric, which is what used to make um uh, you know certain spicy dishes, uh, especially those from the Caribbean. But turmeric is is hugely popular in Asian countries, especially in India and that uh, part of the world. Turmeric is a gene expression modifier. Turmeric actually changes the expression of your DNA. Who knew? Really? A turmeric, which goes into curried foods, uh, changes the expression of a, what's called the NRF2 pathway. And when you amplify the NRF2 pathway, you enhance your body's production of antioxidants. You enhance your body's ability to detoxify, and you reduce the body's production of inflammatory chemicals. So what a powerful wow. notion that is, that you can have this huge effect on your gene expression yes. based upon consuming a single herb called turmeric. You can get it... You can do that by uh, exercising, by eating uh, broccoli, by drinking tea or coffee. Mm-hmm. Various things actually all, all, all modify the expression of this pathway. I love DHA, which is an omega-3 found in fish oil. You can get it from um, algae as well in, in the grocery store or health food store. But DHA is really a critical uh, nutrient for the brain. Uh, but similar to turmeric, it also does change gene expression for the better and reduces the production of inflammatory chemicals. Okay. I, I do like the idea of uh, people taking a really wide-spectrum uh, probiotic. Yes. I think that goes a long way to amplifying the, um, the, the gut bacteria. Uh, I like alpha-lipoic acid. I think lipoic acid is a very broad-spectrum, both water-soluble and fat-soluble antioxidant. And I think that vitamin D is so terribly underrated. Uh, People think, well, gee, vitamin D is great, builds healthy, strong bones. Yeah, it does. But vitamin D activates more than 930 genes in the human body, most of which are actually in the brain. So we're just beginning to get our arms around how important vitamin D is in terms of reducing inflammation. And interestingly, seeing a lot of correlation studies showing, for example, low levels of vitamin D correlating with risk for MS, risk for Alzheimer's, risk for stroke outcome being poor, and even risk for Parkinson's. We see low, low levels of vitamin D in autism across the board um, with Dr. John Canal out there in California, in uh, Los Angeles, uh, reporting uh, his uh, preliminary results in giving high levels of vitamin D to children with autism. So uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, exciting things happen in the, the nutritional supplement world. And I think what I did in BrainMaker was really reduced uh, the compelling number of supplements that people should strongly consider. I mean, 
you know, if you read a, a, a throwaway magazine from the health food store, you'd be taking 100 supplements by the end of the day. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure that's really necessary. I think it's important to focus on the foods that you eat. Yes. We talked about this earlier about oils. I've heard other people say, oh, I'm not going to have olive oil and coconut oil. It's so bad. But are you talking well, about Why how would they say that, though? For, for what reason? I think because they think um, it's not. First of all, they, I've heard people say that it has to be very, very pure, and you don't know how pure the olive oil is the source of it and it's not you just have to be careful where you get it and also they're just the whole fat the whole idea of saturated fat they don't like the idea of coconut oil I've heard people say this but i've heard yeah, other you're things you're right and you know? as i mentioned earlier why would you fear it now that we've seen um you know th- these studies demonstrating that it's actually good for you look right. 50% of the fat in human breast milk is saturated fat now mm-hmm. if there's a problem with saturated fat then uh, Mother Nature or God or whoever, however you want to talk about this made a mistake, and I think right. that's pretty unlikely. Right. No, I've given my daughter coconut oil because of the uh, reduction in inflammation, and, uh, you know, I, I believe in it. So. Oh, yeah. Well, I give all my Alzheimer's patients coconut oil as well. That's great. By the way, congratulations, number one New York Times bestseller, Grain Brain. And Wall Street well, Journal, right? Well, yeah, that was actually, and the new book, Brain Maker, is on uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller, New York Times bestseller, USA Today, and um, number one uh, in Canada. So that's kind of exciting, too. Canadians are dialed in. They, they're getting great. the message pretty quickly. I love it. By the way, the theme of the show is get the funk out. And a lot of times we're in a funk, we can't figure it out. Uh, the root of it. Do you have any suggestions for people who might be in that kind of funk? Well, I think the funk comes from long-held ideas that we were given uh, that are inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have this, this sense in our minds that there's a conflict. When we eat fat, like you mentioned, and, uh, and when we avoid certain foods, uh, because we were told this and we were told that. And, you know, I think... We can argue this on multiple levels. We can look at current science and publications, but also ask yourself, how did we survive the last two million years? It wasn't by eating a diet high in carbs and low in fat and low in fiber. That didn't get us here. We got here by eating a diet that had lots and lots of fiber, especially prebiotic fiber. been estimated that our hunter-gatherer forebears ate as much as 135 grams a day of prebiotic fiber whereas most Americans are lucky if they only get five grams a day. That's so terrible. So we, we have to tr- understand that we have to uh, uh, overturn these uh, preconceived notions, what we were told, and, and recognize that we were given the wrong information. All those years, the past 20, 30 years, when we were told fat is a demon, don't eat fat, that was wrong information. Now, to be clear, Janine, there, mm-hmm. there, we've got to understand that there are fats, that people consume that are not good for you, the, set, the uh, trans fats, the modified fats, you know, these fats that are changed so that they'll stay on the, the grocery store shelves for uh, six months, you know, the vegetable oils, corn oil, safflower oil, mm. etc., that um, are really not a type of oil that we've ever uh, consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, soy oil, for example. Um, these are oils that have much higher levels of inflammation-producing omega-6s. So we've got to take a step back and recognize that fat is good, but we've got to be specific and qualify that statement. What yes. types of fat, Dr. Perlmutter, are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And you know, that's why you write these books, because the word doctor doesn't mean 
healer, it means teacher. And that's the mission here, is to give people the best information that we have and then really leave it up to you to decide what's going to be best for you. That's fantastic. Now, if people want more information about you, where should they go? I'd say um, website is a great place to start, drperlmutter.com, drperlmutter.com. Okay. And um, Facebook, I post every day. That's David Perlmutter, MD. Perfect. Thank you so much for calling in the oh, show. Oh, gosh. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Me too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Dr. David Perlmutter calling in from Naples, Florida. And if you missed any part of today's show, it will be up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And his complete bio and JPEG of his book, Brain Maker, is up on my website as well. And uh, we're going to take a little break. And then before you know it, Sheldon is going to stand by with Cure for the Blues.